Yo, what's up? My name is Ryan Shepard, and you're listening to episode two of the Dear Charlie podcast. If you've been keeping up with us over the first two days, then you already know what this is about, and I don't have to explain it to you. If this is your first day, I'll take a few moments to explain to you what this is and what's going on. So a few days ago, or a few weeks ago, I decided to order some podcasting equipment from Amazon. Why? I'm stuck in the house like you probably are, you should be, and if you're not, stay home. So if you have been home, you've probably done what I've done or may have thought about doing what I did, which is go on Amazon. And once you're on Amazon, you inevitably spend money. So I bought a record player, a camera, and a podcasting kit. I knew what the record player was for. I knew what the camera was for. Podcast equipment, not really my best decision or may end up being my best decision. Who knows? And then when I got the equipment, I posted a picture. And my mom asked me, inevitably and understandably, what is your podcast going to be about? What's the name of it? When you're going to do it? And I really didn't have an idea in mind. I didn't have an idea in mind for a name, a start date, what it's going to be about, why I was doing it. I didn't really know. And then, like my purchase... The idea for the podcast came to me spontaneously, if that's a word, spontaneously. That is a word. I know that. And I got an idea. And that's how this podcast formed. The idea was to make it, in a way, a social experiment. So I pledged to record a podcast episode of about 10 to 15 minutes, even though the first have gone a little bit over try to keep it between 10 and 15 minutes because I know people have things to do and people to see, even though you're stuck inside and I really don't know what you're doing or listening to, but you probably don't want to listen to me. You probably want to watch Netflix or listen to a new album, but I'll kind of keep this sweet and short to the point and stop rambling. The podcast name came from my parents' name. My mom, Jackie Miller, is still a very big part of my life and still checks on me every day, just making sure that I'm good and I really appreciate that. And then my father, I know he would check in on me, but he's not around to do so. He passed away when I was around five or six. And before you get the oh's and the oh, I'm so sorry, it definitely is a sad moment. But it's not something I think about that much. It's been 18, 19 years. And for some people, grief is something that will always stick with you. For me, in terms of my father, it's not something that sticks with me because I know that he's in a better place. So... These podcast episodes are a way for me to just ask him questions I wish I could have asked him growing up. Go over moments that I wish I could have gone over with him growing up, like my prom, my first college party, when I eventually get my driver's license, don't come for me. I have not gotten my driver's license, and there's a reason why I haven't gotten my driver's license, and that will probably be a podcast episode down the line, so I don't want to give away the full story about that or what I think about driving now. But... That's how this came up. These are open journal entries, audio journal entries to my father and things I wish I could have asked him. And I've pledged to do this every day for the next 100 days, which is the estimated time period when things will go back to normal. And obviously you can't see me, but I'm doing the quotes with my fingers because nothing will ever be normal after this. And if you kind of have a thought about 
How This Won't Be Normal, you can listen to episode zero, which is my trial episode, where I talk a little bit about why things won't be normal and one aspect of our lives that probably won't be normal after this. So for today's episode, for almost five minutes in, I guess we'll start here with a scripture. And I'm going to try to do these more often. And if you're not a spiritual person, I don't blame you. And if it's something that you necessarily don't want to hear, you can kind of skip forward about 30 seconds and we'll get straight into the podcast from there. But I have this book that I know a lot of my friends that share the same melanin value as I do. Their parents, you know, buy them this book. It's It has a scripture of every day of the year and you kind of open it up and you flip it up and you kind of read a scripture. So for today's, it's April 16th, Thursday, April 16th, and it reads, I'm calling you to a life of thankfulness. I want all your moments to be punctuated with thanksgiving. The basis for your gratitude is my sovereignty. I am the creator and controller of the universe. Heaven and earth are filled with my glorious presence. When you criticize or complain, you are citing as if you think you could run the world better than I do. From your limited human perspective, it may look as if I'm mismanaging things, but you don't know what I know or see what I see. If I pulled back the curtain to allow you to view heavenly realms, you would understand much more. However, I have designed you to live by faith, not by sight. I lovingly shield you from knowing the future or seeing into the spirit world. Acknowledge my sovereignty by giving thanks in all circumstances. And that's what it reads. So I guess that leads into my episode for today. And if you listen to episode zero and episode one, those are more news-based. They were based off of a news event that was happening at those those times. The first episode, episode zero, was about the privatization of the UP, USPS and how that could change our lives and what that means for your everyday life and how what it means for the election and what it means for Amazon, as previously mentioned. And episode one was about layoffs at Valence Media. And Valence Media is a parent company for The Hollywood Reporter, Billboard, and Vibe Magazine. Today's episode is a little bit more personal. There's no news article. There's no nothing to base this off of, even though I probably could find a news article and kind of go off of that. But I just rather make it more personal, make it more free flowing. So today's episode, as it relates to what I just read, is about not questioning things. Oftentimes, like I, as a journalist, I'll hear from my friends about how they view media, and sometimes it's fair, and sometimes it's not fair, and sometimes it's not fair because they don't understand certain things that go on behind the scenes, whether it be in a TV production or a news production, and how those things work. For background, I was an intern at HBO for four years, and I've worked as a journalist since around 2018 for Def Pen Media, now ABC News. And more so on the news side than the music side, because the music side is more objective and it's more transparent that it's like subjective and your own opinions. With the news, everybody expects certain things to be cut and dry. And in a lot of ways, that's what news media is and what news media is supposed to be. But there is room for your own opinions because we're all human and we all give our own opinions about certain things. It's just as a reader's responsibility to be more discerning with certain information and know who's funding this, who this person is that's writing this article, where they're getting their information from and learning how to break down certain things because that's just how news media works and know that 
Fox News is going to come at it from a different perspective than ABC News, than NBC News, and they all have their own voices and their own driving forces behind what they do. And it's important for those news media organizations to be as transparent as possible. But ultimately, it is on the reader to be discerning with their information as any media consumer should be. You should be knowledgeable about what you're reading and know where everybody's coming from. So as that relates to this next po- next topic, it's again, it's about feeling and not questioning certain things. So I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday who also does poetry like I did or do. I don't write as much as I used to, but I did for much of my life write poetry regularly and perform it and go around and performing in different places for different people. So we were talking about our favorite poetry moments. And we had both been to this competition that's called Cupsy, which is a collegiate union poetry slam invitational. If you haven't heard of it, it's one of the best events I've ever been to in my entire life. And I say that with only 24 years on this earth, but I, I urge anybody that ever has the opportunity to go that has any type of appreciation for poetry, go. It is the, for lack of a better comparison, the March Madness of spoken word poetry. It is bringing together 60 to 68 collegiate teens from around the world, from Canada, from the UK, and obviously from the US. And they're just going at it and they're scoring and they're going through different rounds now. For me, I, I have a different perspective on SLAM now as a few years removed from college than I did when I was in college and the difference between just slam and doing open mic poetry is with slam and with cupsy you're being scored and i've always had a certain feeling about putting a numerical value on people's trauma because that's ultimately what breeds a lot of our poetry there's a joke that poets don't write happy poems which we do poets write happy poems it's just that a lot of times the trauma you write through the trauma you try to express it you try to share that so that you can connect with somebody or you can just help somebody live their truth a little bit better or more freely, I guess better is not the right term, but more freely than they previously were with your poetry and just getting that thing out. It's, it's not therapy when you write, but it is therapeutic. And she was sharing her moment. And I was also sharing with her my moment. Now I have two favorite moments in poetry. The first one has to do with Fresh Fridays. And that's a series I created at my college. And the first time we had it, my friend Javal and my friend Javon, and we had a DJ and we sold the whole thing out. And my four years of being at American, we never filled any room really to capacity for our poetry events except for that one event where we had like 70, 80 people jam-packed into a room. Shout out to Laron. He had the music going. I was able to host. I was really nervous about hosting because if you know me, you know that I'm very introverted. So I was a little bit nervous about that. And Javal and Javon drove down from Philly and they came down and they performed and they did a great job and they just – it was just a really great moment to see all of my poetry friends interact with my Black Student Alliance friends, with my um, friends from the school newspaper, and just bringing all those different groups together in one room was really beautiful. Now, the second moment that I shared with her that had to do with Cupsy was my final year at Cupsy. And with Cupsy, it's a lot like, again, comparing it to March Madness and Division One Sports. You have four years of eligibility. And this is my senior year. And... I was performing in my last round. We weren't going to go on to semifinals, unfortunately. And my stepdad came. We were in Temple University. He, he's from 
well, he's not from Philly, but he lives in, he lived in, he's lived in Philly for a long time. He has a house out there and he showed up and I never got to personally just like go into depth about how much that meant to me, but that was him showing up was like the highlight of me doing poetry in college, just being able to share that moment with him because I know like knowing his interests, I, I, I wouldn't say I don't know for a fact, but I would say that poetry going to spoken word college slam poetry's events isn't necessarily something he does regularly. So the fact that he took a step out of his daily life and just come out and support me and be there, I wouldn't say love is the right word. It's just like an indescribable feeling. Like it, it felt so good to have him share that moment with me. And he was there the whole time. And he was just, it was just really great to have him there. And just that indescribable feeling is what led to another conversation that we had because she's the friend that I was talking to. She's, she's recently engaged and we often get in these conversations where my girlfriends like to, you know, come for me jokingly, lovingly, because as they say, like I'm, or a lot of my friends say like I'm their little brother in a sense, I guess I give that off that aura because I am, I'm the youngest of my family, but they kind of joke with me. Like when are you going to get married? When are you going to do this? And then when are you going to get in a serious relationship and this and the third. And, I've always kind of questioned certain things, going back to that feeling of not questioning things. I always question if marriage is for me. And the way they describe marriage or just the feeling of being in a long-term relationship is having that indescribable feeling. Um, And it's not necessarily a romantic feeling. It's just that indescribable feeling that you can't put your finger on. You just... You're either attracted to that moment or that person or that thing, and that's what drives you. That's what drives your career. That's what drives your passions, your hobbies, all those things. You just have that indescribable connection that you can't necessarily put your finger on it when you get down, down deep into it, into describing why you're passionate about that certain thing or that person. And that's the way that she described why she got engaged, why she made that feeling, because, yes, all of the background things mess up, yes, they were financially in a good place. Yes, they were both personally in a good place. Yes, their families got along. They checked all the, like the logical boxes that you wouldn't want to have. But she said what ultimately pushed her over the edge because she said she's had that feeling with other people having those logical things checked. But she didn't have that like the indescribable feeling that that pushes you over the edge just to say yes. And she was telling me like that's why she did it. She was just joking, like, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do And I was just like, I don't know. Like, I I often question, going for the third time back to questioning, I often question if marriage is for me and in a way that I don't question whether other things are for me. Like, I don't question whether journalism is for me. Like, I know that for a fact. Like, I want to be in media. It may not be writing. It may not be doing this, that, and the third, but I know I want to be in media. Like, I know I'm in the right field. And the same way I question, I guess, more relatably, I don't question whether I want to have kids. I know for a fact, not now that I want to have kids, like I'm 24, I want to live more of my life, but I know at some point I want to have kids. And I know at some point I want to have a dog. And I know those two things are the same, but oftentimes people consider dogs as an extended part of their family, not necessarily the immediate part of the family, but an extended part of your family because it's a pet and something you spend a lot of time with. And I, I don't question whether I want to have kids or pets or, whether I'm in the right field, but I always question whether marriage is for me. And the reason I do that is it's hard to explain. Um, it's not necessarily that I fear commitment. I just feel like I'm, I guess I'm a very conscious person and 
as you can judge from this podcast and the fact that I've been talking for 15 minutes, I overthink everything. And I often overthink if someone is going to get bored with me, whether I can keep somebody engaged or interested. And, and when I explained this to her, she told me, like, it's not your job to keep somebody interested in or engaged with you. Like, they're going to... They're going to be engaged with you if they are interested in whether they care about you. You're always going to be interested into somebody. And if they're not constantly interested in what you're doing and caring for you, then that's not the right person. And then I started to question, like, doing that thing that a lot of people in their 20s do. Like, well, if you find somebody that's interested in you, why can't I find that? And I started, like, in my mind, just like in that brief moment, I was like, I know people from every stage of my life that have either been married or engaged or in a long-term relationship over three or four years. Now, for context, I have been in, I guess, more longer-term relationships, I guess, over my 20s. Um, So I'm 24 now. I guess I could say about two, yeah, only two relationships have really gone over a year and a half, that mark-ish, when it starts to get, I guess, where they ask the individual question, what are we? I guess that that question comes up um, and I started going through different parts of my life and I would say people that I grew up with. So kindergarten through eighth grade, I grew up in a small town in northern New Jersey called North Plainfield. Shout out to North Plainfield. And then I went to boarding school and I know people from my boarding school that either been engaged or married while people that attended school, I was in school. And then I know people that have been in college. Now, I don't know anybody that's in college that's been married yet, but I know people that have been in really long-term relationships. And I know, I would say one or two people that I would say either are engaged or going to get engaged in the next year or so. So I I always think like, it's that thing that like when you see somebody that has, is in your field and it's around the same age as you, sometimes people question like, why, why, what am I not doing to get myself there? Now, certain people who are jealous will be like, why does he have that when I like, why does he have that when I don't have that? Or why does she have that when I don't have that? And I don't necessarily think of that way. I always think of it like, why am I, what have I not done or not worked on to get me there? It's more of like an internal thing. Like, why am I not pushing myself hard? Like, I question myself. It's not necessarily that I'm jealous of that person or I wouldn't necessarily wouldn't describe that feeling as jealous, but it's more of a self-deprecating feeling, which I've tried to work on, but I kind of put that in the same realm as being engaged or questioning certain things. But at the same time, I question like, is that even for me? Like, is that, is the feeling of being necessarily in love, but being in a long-term relationship that's supposed to be till death do us part, is that for me? And I guess certain things get into my head. Like, am I going to constantly keep somebody fulfilled or entertained or and you go through all, like, all of the different things. Like, I've gotten past the physical things, I guess, the more superficial things that dominate your early teens and your late teens into your early college experiences, which is, like, when girls tell you, like, oh, I need a guy that's over six feet. I need a guy that did that, blah, 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 blah. I get past certain past, past those, like, markers, like, later in college where I stop. Like, if you don't want somebody that's under six feet, then I'm just not for you and I'm not going to talk to you. It's not, like, necessarily saying you shouldn't have that standard for yourself or want to date somebody that you're attracted to that fits your standards, but also I'm not going to make myself feel bad about not being six foot because most of the world isn't six foot, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Or different, like other, like just like frivolous, like standards that you set for 
like your the partner that you want to have ideally um, when you're younger. And I've gotten past all of that, but now it's just a matter of like, what do I want? Number one, and why am I not as certain about wanting marriage as I am as certain about wanting having kids? Is there some kind of psychology behind that or whatever? And I'm not trying to rush myself into it, but I think a lot of times as you get into your mid-20s, you start to feel like you're closer to 30 than you are to 20, which is not necessarily the case. Like I'm still closer to 20 than I am closer to 30, but you start to, I don't know why in your 20s, you start to like think about like 30 is like that death point when it's really like you're still super young you're still like a i wouldn't say you're a child at 30 but you're like super young and you have so much time to think about things ideally um but it's hard it's hard not to think about those certain things and i guess i would love to ask my dad like what does he think about marriage like what at one point did he decide to marry my mom and what point like what pushed him over the edge? Like what was marriage like? What was, what does he think he could have done better in marriage? What were the relationships like when he got up leading up to his marriage? Like what was he like in college? What was he as like as a young adult? Cause I know as part of myself, like I don't consider myself a bad guy, but I know I've done things that I'm not proud of um, that are kind of like jerkish and like things that you do when you're one to, your early 20s, not to say that they're justifiable, but you're just more likely to do them when you're in your 20s than you are, or you should be more likely to do them in your 20s than when you were in your 30s or when you're, you get a little bit older. But I, I do think I've matured. And I, actually, I know I've matured because it's, I've changed certain, I've actually gone out and changed certain things about my life to the point that they become habits. And I think the the seal of approval is always when your friends tell you, like, oh, I see you've made that change. Oh, I've seen you you do this a lot better than you handle certain situations a lot better than than you are. Like for me, like growing up, like I guess one thing that's always been a problem in relationships is that I always had a problem with communicating. Like I'm as I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the poetry and the fresh varieties, I'm a very introverted person. That doesn't necessarily I don't communicate. It just means it's very hard for me to communicate. And if you don't ask me I'm the type of person, if you don't ask me the spot on question, I'm I'm not even going to think to answer it in the way that you want me to answer it. And I think a lot of people take that as lying, but I, I don't, like if somebody asks me like, hey, did you go to this place? Like ask somebody if they ask me if they, and there's two places in DC where you can get cupcakes. Um, well, not two places, but two like commercial places that are have chains and like one is Georgetown Cupcake and one is my personal favorite, Baked and Wired. If somebody asked me like, hey, did you go and Baked and Wired? They're probably asking me if I've gotten cupcakes. Like that's what they're thinking in their head, probably. Hey, did you go to Baked and Wired? No, but I may have gone to Georgetown Cupcakes and I might not even think about to answer it. No, I didn't go to Baked and Wired, but I went to Georgetown Cupcakes. And sometimes that those type of questions, if you put them in a relationship context, get me in trouble and like have issues with my relationships where I'm not communicating as fully. I guess that's the best word or as completely as I possibly could. And that's something I've tried, tried and tried to work on and try to think about communication, not from a one-way perspective of me getting a response, but a two-way perspective where I'm also thinking about what they're trying, the information that they're trying to gather when they're communicating with me. And that's something that's tried. I've tried to work on and be better on in my next relationship. 
So I guess that's another thing I need to work on is just one, just figuring out not rushing things. Number one, letting things come to me. Because as I mentioned before, I've been in, I guess, two relationships in my early 20s that have lasted over about a year and a half. And in both those relationships, they came to me instead of me actively going out and seeking them and overthinking certain things. And then two, trying to be a more complete communicator and trying to think about like what that person is trying to get out after me. And I promise I'm wrapping this up because I said I was going to be 15 to 20 minutes. And the first two episodes were under way under 20 minutes. This one is pushing 25. So I'm going to wrap it up in a minute or so. But I guess I want to ask my, like my dad, because he was more, at least what has been described to me and what I experienced in my younger years, that he was more extroverted than I was. My mom is definitely more extroverted than I am. And my brother, to an extent, he's more like me in that he can be reserved. But there are points where he can be more extroverted. And I think my family thinks because of the presence I give off on social media that I am more extroverted than I actually am. Um, and as I was explaining to my friend, like going back to communication, like I, I think of communication with people as me conversating about what they want to have a conversation. Wow. It's not a word, but it's, it, it, yeah, I won't even get to it. Having conversations about what they want to have conversations about, not what I want to have conversations about. So I won't share with people certain things about myself. And again, I guess this could be another thing I'm working on in relationships, not sharing things that I'm interested in with other people. And because I think nobody else is interested into them and in them in the same way that I am. Like, I love talking about music. I love sharing music, but I, I I find it hard to find people that are interested in music to the depth that I am interested in music. Like I'm very interested. I have a weird obsession with it because I've always wanted to sing. And I've just, because I wasn't able to sing, I love R&B. Like I just have such an admiration for people that can sing and rap, do these different things. Cause I wanted to rap. I couldn't rap that well. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't sing at all. So I was just very interested in music and I find it hard to have those conversations with people about like, who do you think is the best? What was the best album since 2014 R&B album? Like no one wants to have those conversations with me other than music writers. But I found in trying to communicate with different people, like people like have like having those conversations when the other person is engaged and they're knowledgeable and they're passionate about what they're talking about, regardless of what the topic is. Like when I, I used to think that people were interested in boxing and People aren't interested in boxing in the way that I am and the way that I have to be for my job, but also just as a fan. But I found that when I started to talk to people about boxing in a way that I was very, very passionate about and breaking it down to them, they became a little bit more interested into it because we've all they all have like a standard like reference point for it. Like everybody's been been in a fight or had a friend in a fight or witnessed a fight. And while boxing isn't just a street fight. You you have those certain like reference points where you can kind of refer back to, and they can kind of put that into boxing. So as long as somebody has a reference point for it, they can relate to it. So if you're passionate about it and you look like you're enjoying about enjoying it, if you're in a relationship with somebody that cares about you, they're gonna they're eventually gonna I guess come around to it. They may not want to talk to talk to you about it as much as you want to talk about it, but they'll be engaged and they'll 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 engage with you on that conversation. And sometimes I'll be so shy that I won't share my hobbies and people won't get to know me in the, the way that they probably want to get to know me. Like people don't know, like I have a very silly side 
of myself, people who are on Instagram may see that from time to time. That like, I have a very silly side to myself that I don't share often. So I guess this all comes down to the question that I would want to ask my father for today, for today's episode, for today's audio journal entry is like, what were your relationships like leading up to marrying my mom? What was marriage like? When did you know? What made you, what, why was the moment that you decided to propose? Why? I guess that, that's a question I've never even asked my mom. Like, when did my dad propose? Like, what was that? Like, I'm just realizing as I'm recording this. Wow, I've never asked my mom that. Like, I, I've watched the vet, wedding video. I've heard everything about the wedding. I've never remember asking anything about when my dad proposed or, like, what was that moment was like. And when did he know and when did she know? And did she know that she wanted to have kids before she got married? Not to say have kids before she got married, but did she know that at some point in her life that she wanted to have kids before she ended up av- marrying my dad? And what relation, like, when did she know that she had this connection with my stepdad? Like, questions I just never ask. Like, I, don't, I obviously do not want to know, like, the details. Like, they're, like, because, like, I, I always think it's weird, like, when you know. Like, I, I consider my mom a friend, but she's also my mother. Like, she, I'd never confuse the two. I know some people, like, consider their mom their best friend. And my mom is, in a lot of ways, like, my best friend. But I don't consider her as, like, as a friend. She's my mom. It's hard to explain the difference, but. I guess those are just the questions I wanted to ask her. And if you ever had these questions, like if you're listening to this and you have these questions um, that I'm having right now, please, please DM me, please. Like maybe we can get you on the podcast to talk about it. Um, But just, you know, just check in. Um, So I guess I'll end there. And if you've listened to this 30 minute long podcast, I thank you so much. I've been rambling a lot because this has been a lot to work through in my head. Um, but thank you so much. And I really do appreciate it. And I hope you have a great day and please stay safe and stay healthy. All right. This has been episode two of the Dear Charlie podcast. Peace. Eastside, get the love when I get high. Pine bottles and I forget you even exist. Rally at the cathedral, throw up the panther fist. Baby girl doing better with a star now. And I'm so deep in the pussy, make a star chap.